This is CPX number 85, Holy Orders number 1. This is the Catechism of Pope St. Pius X, CPX, page 104 to 105, question and answer number 1 through 8. God give you his peace, in nomine Patris, Sifidit, Spiritus Santi, Amen. Heavenly King, Consoler Spirit, Spirit of Truth, who are present everywhere and filling all things, treasure of all good and source of all life, come dwell in us, cleanse us and save us, you who are all good, Amen. In nomine Patris, Sifidit, Spiritus Santi, Amen. And if you're on the video version, if you look over my right shoulder, I want to thank the two donors who gave me that flag and the Holy Face from Ireland. Thank you so much for that. Now we jump into Pope St. Pius X on Holy Orders. Number one, what is the sacrament of Holy Orders? Answer, Holy Orders is a sacrament which gives power to exercise the sacred duties connected with the worship of God and the salvation of souls, and which imprints the character of minister of God on the soul of him who receives it. Number two, why is it called Orders? Answer, it is called orders because it comprises various grades, the one subordinate to the other, from which the sacred hierarchy is composed. Number three, which are these grades? Answer, the highest is the episcopate, which contains the fullness of the priesthood. Then comes the priesthood, then the diaconate, the subdiaconate, and the orders called minor. Number four, when did Jesus Christ institute the sacerdotal order? Answer, Jesus Christ instituted the sacerdotal order at the Last Supper when he conferred on the apostles and their successors the power of consecrating the Blessed Eucharist. Then on the day of his resurrection, he conferred on them the power of remitting and retaining sin, thus constituting them the first priests of the new law in all the fullness of their power. Number five, who is the minister of this sacrament? Answer, the bishop is the minister of this sacrament. Number six, is the dignity of the Christian priesthood a great dignity? Answer, the dignity of the Christian priesthood is great indeed because of the twofold power which Jesus Christ has conferred upon it, that over his real body and that over his mystical body or the church, and because of the divine mission committed to priests to lead men to eternal life. Number seven, is the Catholic priesthood necessary in the church? Answer, the Catholic priesthood is necessary in the Church because without it, the faithful would be deprived of the holy sacrifice of the Mass and of the greater part of the sacraments. They would have no one to instruct them in the faith, and they would be as sheep without a shepherd, a prey to wolves. In short, the Church, such as Christ instituted it, would no longer exist. Number eight, will the Catholic priesthood therefore never cease on this earth? Answer, in spite of the war that hell wages against it, the Catholic priesthood will last until the end of time because Jesus Christ has promised that the powers of hell shall never prevail against his church. Thus are the words of the Holy Pope. Okay, so today we're just going to look at number three and seven and eight. So number three, as you just heard, asks about the different levels of the priesthood. It says, which are these grades? And the Pope answers, the highest is the episcopate, which contains the fullness of the priesthood, then comes the priesthood, then the diaconate, then the subdiaconate, and then the orders called minor. Okay, now my commentary on this. You know, before we get to the hierarchy of orders, we have to realize that we Americans living in a Protestant country are often shown this line from 1 Peter 2, 9-10, which of course is a beautiful verse, two verses. It's the word of God. But sometimes we don't know how to answer it. Let me read it to you, and then I'll tell you the, where the sticking point on that it is. It says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellences of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. 
Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Again, that was 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10. Now, is that description of the priesthood directed to priests or lay people? Well, the answer is both. But then we have to ask this question. If the word priest was used by the first pope to include all lay people, namely St. Peter right there, then why are we talking about these grades of the priesthood? Well, the answer is that the Catholic Church has always had the answer that there's a difference between the common priesthood and the ministerial priesthood. Most of my listeners out there belong to the common priesthood, which St. Peter was describing in 1 Peter 2, 9 to 10 there, where I belong to both. I belong to both the common priesthood and the ministerial priesthood, probably more accurately. I guess I used to be a part of the common priesthood. Now I'm part of the ministerial priesthood. So Catholics have thought through all these things. We're not really going to get tripped up by Protestants on, on these questions. Now let's talk about within the ministerial priesthood, the differences. You might have noticed that when the Pope wrote this about 100 to 150 years ago, he included the subdiaconate and these minor orders in his answer. Well, Vatican II got rid of the subdiaconate and minor orders. For example, one of those is exorcist. Now, of course, if you go to like either major minor ordination ceremonies or institutional uh, ceremonies at, say, a Fraternity of St. Peter Parish, or rather a seminary, or an ICK seminary or home, or the SSPX seminary, uh, you can still see the institution of these minor orders. And that is just because, again, Vatican II apparently got rid of those. Now, one of the other significant differences between the traditional priesthood and what we see happen right now, and I do believe the new priests are valid priests. I didn't mean what we see now. I just mean these are significant differences that just historically can be pointed out. One of the other differences is that in tradition, we say that a bishop is consecrated. We don't say he's ordained. That's that's how they use that term um, in Latin and the Romance languages and even English for hundreds or thousands of years before 1960. So why is that significant? Well, because like the Pope just said, the bishop has the, quote, fullness of the priesthood. So notice that that's not a different animal altogether. Now, it is true. The, the bishop is the head honcho. That's where the buck stops in the diocese. And only, this is important, only a bishop can ordain priests and consecrate other bishops. A priest obviously cannot do that. But here's the thing. I think one of the reasons why the church has always used the term up until the 1960s the term consecrated bishop is because we really look to the priesthood um, as belonging exclusively to Jesus Christ. You know, St. Thomas Aquinas teaches there is only one high priest. That's not a bishop. It's not a pope. It's only Jesus Christ. And we, ministerial priests, we all participate in his call to teach, sanctify, and govern. Those are the three gifts and duties of every one of us priests. So if you want to memorize anything from this whole thing, remember, teach, sanctify, and govern is the duty and the gift of every single priest. But no one has ever done it as good as Jesus Christ, and no one ever will, because he is God. Jesus Christ is the one true high priest, and I thank God I participate in his priesthood. But I don't eclipse it, and I can't do a better job than him. Now, there's a priest a little bit older than me in Louisiana who doesn't even offer the Latin Mass. And I just say that by way to show I don't only hang out with traditionalists, um, but he's well on his way. And he was the first to rightly instruct me that before Vatican II, bishops were important, but he pointed out, and I was actually pretty shocked. He's a little bit older than me. Um, he's just a regular diocesan priest. And he showed me that bishops were really not seen as these people who could change the faith of the liturgy um, or even went unchecked in their commands to priests before Vatican II. 
this priest told me basically before Vatican II, bishops were not these demagogues of dioceses, but they were more like, kind of almost like super priests, if I remember his words right. Now, if you look at history, let's look at where I'm from, Denver. The first bishop of Denver, Bishop Mashbuff, he came from France, and he was almost like this Francis Xavier who went up and down the, the entire front range from Santa Fe up to Denver. That's called I-25 now, establishing missions. He went this whole way with, uh, I think, two priests at his side, living by fire at night, fighting off uh, bears and lions and probably raids of all kinds of people and stuff. And what's amazing is, yeah, he, he called the shots, but this guy lived in the same tents and ate the same food and lived a, a rough missionary life as he established the faith and the sacraments uh, in Denver, um, way down the front range, as we call it, way down I-25. Um, and so really this idea of a, of a bishop being this terrifying CEO of a diocese, it's a very, very new idea in the church. And then this idea of bishops' conferences changing doctrine or liturgy, just as they're talking about in synodality, especially in Europe right now, that is a pure heresy from hell. The synodality that, that bishops can actually change the faith. And I don't blush saying that even knowing that kids are listening. That is a heresy from hell. Bishops are not the demagogues of a diocese to change things. St. Jerome wrote, and by the way, I'm recording this on his feast day, quote, For even at Alexandria, from the time of Mark the Evangelist, until the episcopates of Heracles and Dionysus, the presbyters, always named as bishop one of their own number, chosen by themselves and set in a more exalted position, just as an army elects a general or as deacons appoint one of themselves, whom they know to be diligent and call him archdeacon. For what function, except ordination, belongs to a bishop that does not also belong to a presbyter, end quote. That's St. Jerome in letter 126. And remember, St. Jerome is a doctor of the church. One more time, he wrote, for what function accepting ordination belongs to a bishop that does not also belong to a presbyter. And again, a presbyter is just another name for a priest. Number seven, is the Catholic priesthood necessary in the church? Answer, the Catholic priesthood is necessary in the church because without it, the faithful would be deprived of the holy sacrifice of the mass and of the greater part of the sacraments. They would have no one to instruct them in the faith and they would be a sheep without a shepherd, a prey to wolves. In short, the church, such as Christ instituted it, would no longer exist. Okay, like I said earlier, if you memorize one thing from today, it's to remember that the priest has three jobs, teach, sanctify, and govern. Now, there's a modern myth. There's a modern myth in most dioceses. It's the lay people's job to teach. It's the bishop's job to govern. And then, yeah, the priest does the sacraments, but if anyone gets mad at him, his job is done there too. Let me say again that the three gifts and duties of every priest is to teach, sanctify, and govern. Now, I try to not bring too much personal stuff in here, especially after a long preamble at the beginning of this, but I do want to mention, you know, I'm really thankful to you guys listening, and I'm sure some of you listening across the nation might say, oh, I listen to Father David Nix, and probably some people who don't like me would say, oh, he's the quote-unquote hermit priest who's online, or he's not a very good hermit if he's making videos and on Twitter. Well, if you've made it this far, listen to me, you probably don't need an apologetic from me, but I, I do want to give you just a little way to answer people on that. So the first thing I would tell them is I have a rule of life approved by my archdiocese, which does include what, that I wrote in there, tr occasional travel, bringing the sacraments to people, pro-life work, and teaching online. And my diocese hands over my letters of suitability when I help in another diocese. Secondly, and I think this is more important because where my enemies are getting at is the precedent of hermit. 
I would point out, and again, I'm recording this actually on the feast day of St. Jerome. I try to do this about a week ahead of time. I would point out to anyone saying, Father Nix isn't a good hermit. Why do you listen to him? I would say, you know, hermits like St. Jerome actually did spend a lot of time with people in what we call modern day Palestine or Israel when he left his cave there. And get this, everyone, St. Jerome, that hermit, played a big part in church teaching and reform in his letters to Rome. Let me read you the old divine office today. It says, Ordained priest by Paulinus, bishop of Antioch, St. Jerome went back to Palestine. There, near the crib of the Lord Christ in Bethlehem, he led a life patterned after that of heaven itself. He conquered the wiles of the devil with works of devotion and continual reading and writing. Questions on Holy Scripture were referred for explanation to him as to an oracle being sent to him from all over the world. Pope Damasus and St. Augustine often consulted him on difficult passages in Scripture because of his singular learning and his knowledge not only of Latin and Greek, but also of Hebrew and Chaldaic, end quote. So I'm not comparing myself to him. I'm just saying that if you look at hermits before me, there's really no problem teaching people. And by the way, oddly, Jerome is my middle name. Or let's take a look at St. Maximilian Kolbe. He was obviously a Franciscan uh, about 100 years ago. And remember, before he was a martyr in the Holocaust, St. Maximilian Kolbe had state-of-the-art production equipment to reach several, several continents for the Immaculate and the Sacred Heart of Jesus. Now, there's probably people back then who said, oh, well, I don't think a Franciscan should have state-of-the-art production equipment. Well, and by the way, I don't have state-of-the-art production equipment. I just use the free garage band and iMovie that came on my MacBooks. But the point is, because he was a priest, it was his job to teach as many people as possible. And by the way, the only part uh, of Sanctify, that's actually doing the sacraments, that I really miss in parish life is the solemn high masses and sung masses, because I offer the low mass behind me, as I did today on the Feast of St. Jerome, and I still hear confessions and even baptized babies. I had two baptisms in the old rite just over the past two months at a local parish here. But, you know, I don't mind my life doing this teaching, putting the emphasis on teaching more than governing and sanctifying, because I believe what we have in this church crisis in the 21st century that's very, very pronounced that we find now probably a lot more than other times in history is that what is missing even more than the sacraments, at least in the Western Hemisphere, is teaching. Eastern Hemisphere, it's probably both of those missing, but at least they have the, uh, the blood of many red martyrs, even today, that remind them of the true faith. In fact, as long as we're on the East, Eastern Hemisphere, quick tangent for you. You know, when the Jesuits got kicked out of Japan, I think it was the 17th or 18th century, they were gone for 200 years, and the faith stayed alive pretty well among the Japanese Catholics at that time, even without priests. Obviously, lay people can do baptism, but they couldn't obviously hear confessions or offer Holy Mass. Now, when priests finally returned later, 200 years later, it wasn't only the sacraments that were missing. Now, the, the, the faith was kept alive actually very well for those 200 years, but there was a few errors that had snuck in there. So that shows right there that the priests are necessary not just for the sacraments, but also for teaching the faith. So remember, the priest is called to teach, sanctify, and govern, even if he's a hermit, even if he's a Franciscan. And by the way, the people who kind of make fun of me for being a hermit on social media, do they not know the tradition of the saints who went before me? No, because they're not mad that I'm saying things. They're mad at what I'm saying. Namely, like I said on a previous podcast, that Catholicism can't change and Marxism can't change. 
And really that's the only reason I'm on the map. Uh, here's my secret. It's actually extremely boring that I teach that Catholicism and Marxism can't change. But for some reason, it's just become controversial to say basic truths. Why? Well, I really think just because we're in such dark times in the world and the church now. A friend reminds me all the time that if this was the 19th century, I would be the most boring priest on the planet. And I think she's right. But you know, these are different times. And probably some people, even friends might say to me, you know, you might get suspended for being so controversial. But, but you know, my answer is, how can basic truths be controversial? Other people might want me to just to write under a pseudonym or have like a fake handle on Twitter or something like that. There's a lot of people maybe speaking the truth behind closed doors. My answer is I can't be a coward right now in church history. I've been a coward a long enough time in my life that, you know, I can't judge other people who are speaking behind closed doors or on fake Twitter accounts or whatever, but I know the convictions in my own heart right now. And I know that cowards go to the same hot place as sorcerers, literally sorcerers, if you look in Apocalypse 21.8. So now is not the time in church history to be a coward. Number eight, will the Catholic priesthood therefore never cease on this earth? Answer, in spite of the war that hell wages against it, the Catholic priesthood will last until the end of time because Jesus Christ has promised that the powers of hell shall never prevail against his church. Now, if you can believe it, there's some people more traditional than me in the church, and they actually believe that apostolic succession will be sunk by the time Christ returns in glory. But this line today shows that they are wrong, because it's guaranteed Catholic dogma that, quote, the Catholic priesthood will last until the end of time, end quote. Maybe they might say, okay, well, will there be priests ordained in the old rite by bishops consecrated in the old rite? Yes, I can almost guarantee you such priests will be there at the end of time. Another thing they might say, okay, but is the catechism of Pope St. Pius X infallible? The answer is no, but 99 to 100% of it is based on the Roman catechism or the catechism of the Council of Trent, which has been officially described as infallible by the church. Remember, not even the new catechism of the Catholic Church, the CCC one, the one made in the 90s, is even claimed to be infallible. They say it's a sure norm for teaching the faith. But the fact that they've switched flip-flopped by their own admission, the teaching on the death penalty numerous times, shows that is not an infallible catechism. Only the Roman catechism, the catechism of the Council of Trent, has ever been declared infallible, and 99% to 100% of the catechism of Pope St. Pius X, he took his words from that. And by the way, that is going to be our next series, the Catechism of the Council of Trent. So I think I will call it CCT instead of CPX since it's a different uh, catechism. So I'm changing my mind on that one. But I do want you all to hear today, remember, CPX, the Catechism of Pope St. Pius X, not my series, but the actual book, 99% of that is infallible. What I have to say on the second half of every video is obviously not infallible, but what Pope St. Pius X wrote 100 or 150 years ago in the Catechism of Pope St. Pius X, 99 to 100% of that is infallible. Please say in Our Father for me, et benedictio de omnipotentis, patris et fidi, et spiritus santi, descendet super vos, et mani et semper. Amen.